One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three calls. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to episode four of Autographs, the unofficial auto new podcast uh, sponsored by Rotographs. Uh, I'm Tom Altruzewski, and I'm here tonight just with Joe Douglas. How are you doing, Joe? I'm good. How are you, Tom? I'm good. Uh, Trey and Justin, our normal co-hosts, uh, I-, I think are both sick tonight. Or Trey is sick, but Justin's doing a draft, one of his many, many drafts. So it'll just be the two of us tonight. Justin's uh, sick, in air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has a doctor's note. <laughs> yeah. So uh, do you have anything you want to chat about before we jump into our topic? Apparently, uh, Sean Figgins retired. I thought he was out of baseball for about four years now. He was effectively retired. I mean, uh, he retired from relevance like in 2010. (laughs) Yeah. This is fun. A a friend of mine and I, um, Sean Figgins, we always like bring up as uh, as the guy that like you could get as your super utility guy, like long after he was relevant. So I thought that was amusing. Yeah, I think it... It's always tough with him because, like, he went from being good to terrible, like, overnight. So fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. rarely see people fall off a cliff that quickly, so. No, definitely. Um, so I think tonight we just wanted to talk about bold predictions. Is that right? And maybe just talk about a couple of the players in those. Is that what, what you were thinking? Yeah. I was thinking we can talk about yours and my article that already came out. And then um, I think at some point in the future, maybe Trey and Joe will um, talk a little about theirs that are forthcoming. So maybe if you want to jump in with one of your predictions, we can talk about it and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So it's not, I guess like the, when I wrote the uh, bold predictions piece, I tried to structure it in such a way that I was talking about players that I think will act, that you will be happy to own this year. Um, and then tried to come up with predictions off of those players that I thought would be um, rare, I guess. So like one of the guys that I really like this year is Domingo Santana, uh, the Brewers outfielder. And I, I think I pegged him in the same – I think I said he'd be a top 15 outfielder in the prediction. Um, and that's pegging him around the names like Nelson Cruz, Yasiel Puig, Charlie Blackman, Starling Marte, like in that range, probably like your $20 outfielders. Um, and <laughs> I wouldn't say that it's necessarily realistic that that happens, but I think that if you look at what Santana's going for, if you're paying – uh, you can probably get him for 12 bucks or so in most of your leagues. And I think that given that, he's going to be very cheap um, for the level of production that he's going to provide. I think the projections have him at around a 335 Woba, which is, I think, top 30 for the outfielders. Um, and he has power, he has speed, and I think he has like all of the tools, and he's going to get playing time in Milwaukee, and Milwaukee's a great park for him as well. So I, I just kind of see everything kind of lining up for Santana, where I think he's being undervalued in drafts currently. Um, yeah, I think you you made a great point that he could be a twenty dollars outfielder, and, and I think in Adenu, it, it's a little less about you know is somebody a top thirty or a top fifteen or what, and a little more about their surplus value. Yeah, um, and you hit the nail on the head that he has a lot of opportunity for surplus <clears throat> compared to where his actual price is going to be in a lot of drafts. Yeah, well, and I think for if you look at the the guys that I kind of lumped him in with. Um, they're all established players. So if you look at like Adam Jones, 
Starling Marte, Nelson Cruz, like all of those guys are going to have playing time and they've had playing time for several years. So the baseline's kind of established as far as the production that they're going to provide, or at least that we expect from them. <laughs> I think with Santana, um, it's one of those tricky scenarios, kind of like with prospects where th- there's a gap between um, thinking that they have potential and them not actually putting it together. And I see players like him. It's kind of like the Chris Bryant, Chris Bryant projections last year. Where it's like, okay, do I buy all in on this or not? And by projections, I think last year Bryant was like a $30 player. Um, and if you look at it now, it's like, man, I'd love to have Chris Bryant for 30 And I feel like Santana is somewhat similar where all of the projections are kind of um, ranking him very highly. We haven't seen him produce at that level yet. Um but I feel like his price is kind of unfairly penalizing him for the fact that he hasn't actually produced at that level. I think you made a good point too, and I'm sure we'll talk some more about prospects over the course of this recording. Um, but I've thought a lot for a lot of time that it's easier sometimes to have a pitching prospect when they're close to the major league level okay. because you have like a pretty good idea when they're going to play. So you know if they're facing like the Braves uh, in like a really good pitcher's park if they play on the Marlins or the Padres or something – you know, you know they have a really good opportunity, whereas with a hitter, a lot of times you're kind of at the whim of the team. You don't know if they're going to play every day. You don't know if they're going to be hot or cold. You, and, and you have a little bit of a less chance to even play platoons or to play matchups with them, you know, because who knows? You could play them against, like, the worst pitcher in the league, and that pitcher could just have a great night. Yeah, I think, I, I think as far as rookies go, I like to um, – if I'm going to own pitchers, I like to own pitchers who are in good parks. So for example, yeah. for example, um, Sean Manaya this year is a good example where um, maybe he's not in that top range with like Alex Reyes, Lucas Giolito, Julio Urias, um, all the guys that we would kind of say are studs right off the bat. But he's in a situation where at um, in Oakland he's going to be at a really good park even when he comes up. Um, it's a lot easier for me to pick a guy like that than it would be say a uh, John Gray or Jeff Hoffman because you know that you're going to be playing them at cores every time. Um, so, yeah. And what I really like about a guy like Minea, too, is that, you know, if you've got him, you can play him at home on the A's. But you also have a lot more opportunity to know, like when some of the best hitting teams are coming in, maybe you sit him when some of the worst hitting teams are coming in. You know, really clearly that that has like big potential that night. Yeah. Whereas if you have a hitting prospect, sometimes it's uh, in that first kind of limbo when they first come up and they're first trying to put a stake on that job. There's like to me, there's a lot more question as to what they're going to do every night. There's a lot more volatility. Okay. You know, until they take over a full time role, which I think that's also kind of key to your Santana prediction, is that he will stake out that full time role pretty quickly and become that kind of reliable guy. Yeah, and I think I think he's in a situation too. And it's kind of like the Phillies and Brewers are in the same boat this year, where I think that if, at least in Phil or in Milwaukee, the team's going to be so bad that I think even if he doesn't produce, he's still going to get 400 plate appearances to prove that he's not good. Okay. Like it's not like they're going right. to, there, there's the no risk chance. if you know, he's not going to cost them wins. Yeah, exactly. If he's not good. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I like, um, I like Santana for that reason. And I like, especially when you're looking at rookies, I, if you don't have a guy like a Corey Seager, who you're going to have to pay in the high to mid twenties for, um, I like to pick – or Santana's not a rookie, but like kind of lumping him into that like prospect. He's kind of in that group, yeah. yeah. Type range or guys who aren't established yet. Um, I like to pick guys who are kind of on bad teams because a lot of times what happens is that the teams are basically going to say, okay, we'll sink or swim. And like even if they start to sink, they're going to give them enough opportunity to 
really prove themselves either way. Um, it kind of allow themselves to work out of the team's future plans. Um, and I think that Santana is really going to be given every opportunity in that regard. So, yeah, I like that prediction. Well, I'll uh, go to a player on my list that actually kind of matches that same situation, which is Zach Cozart. Okay. Uh, and he kind of ticks a lot of the same boxes. He's on a bad team, you know, where the Reds aren't really expected to contend. I think they'll be in the same situation where they'll kind of let him sink or swim. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have Eugenio Suarez. Yeah, I like Suarez, actually. Uh, I like Suarez a lot, too. But um, what I've been seeing is that it's possible Suarez could end up playing some third base. So Cozart still, if he can kind of continue what he did in last year, his semi-breakout season, you could see a lineup where he's at short and then Suarez at third base sometimes, and they both have a chance. Yeah, I think it isn't the only concern with Suarez, just his um, his knee injury. So as long as he's like recovered from that. Right, yeah. There was, um, yeah, I, 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 from what I saw, it wasn't 100% sure he'd be ready for the beginning of the season, but it seems like things are going well. I'm sure if I say something wrong, somebody will swoop in the comments to correct me. No, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, you're, I think you're correct. I think um, he's one of the guys that I've seen in my drafts that's just been going for like a couple dollars too. So I think he's yeah. like when you're talking like backup shortstop or like fifth middle infielder, he can be someone that um, like you might as well take the upside as opposed to go again on like an Elvis Andrews or something like that. Yeah, I actually kept Suarez at three dollars, which uh, you mean Cozart? I felt. Well, I kept both of them oh, at a couple bucks. Okay. Um, and, and actually, now that we're talking about them, I think they're both kind of similar um, yeah, I, in that respect. I like Suarez more, but I, I, I do like both. Like, I would gladly roster either of them. Yeah, well, in a couple leagues, I actually have both of them. So, uh, you know, even if um, a situation happens where one of them kind of plays themselves out of the job and the other one takes over, mm-hmm. I, it's kind of like a closer handcuff situation that I have going on with them. Um, but yeah, I definitely think um, Suarez is kind of the safer bet. You know, he showed the upside and he, um, you know, he played healthy through most of last year. Uh, whereas Cozart, you know, he had that huge breakout uh, 50 or so games and then got injured for the entire season. You know, so um, it does seem like he'll be healthy. But um, I think the real key would be if any of that breakout was for real. Um, and yeah. I don't if, know if, if there's the power or not. Exactly. You know, I don't know how much stock we can put in that because there are some warning signs that maybe it wasn't, but I kind of feel like shortstop is one of those positions where, you know, if you pick up a guy like Cozart and he stinks, you have almost every shortstop and not a new stinks anyway. So at the very least you have a couple bucks for, you know, your backup infielder. You can play him when you need someone to start, Uh, but the upside is so high. I mean, I think he could easily be a top 12 or top 10 guy if that power was real. Yeah, the bar is so low to be a top 10 to 12 shortstop that I think he could easily produce that. I think what it really comes down to is where you are acquiring him and the role that you're acquiring him for. Yeah, if, definitely. I don't want Zach Cozart to be my starting shortstop, um, but I think I can have him for $1 to $3, and he can be the second or third guy. Right. If that's all he is, then like I'm perfectly happy to take the chance because I can already fill the games with the other people on my roster. Yeah, exactly. And then if Cozart does break out, he could play his way kind of to become your starter as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, um, I like Kozar. I think that he's a guy who could really produce this year, and it's kind of if I, I'm picking between him or Alcides Escobar, I'm definitely picking Kozar. Oh yeah, I pick Kozar all day. <laughs> yeah. So, um, were there any other players that you wanted to talk about? Uh, let me see. Well, um, one prediction I had, kind of going off what I was talking about about um, pitchers and hitters before, um, you know, I've been vocal about kind of preferring pitcher prospects 
Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, everybody knows the reverse is true a little bit in the major leagues, you know, where with pitchers kind of anything could happen. Whereas with hitters, a lot of times once they take over a defined role, they're a lot more consistent. Okay. Uh, so one of the predictions I made was that Clayton Kershaw won't be the number one out of new pitcher. And I did see a couple other um, Rotographs authors <laughs> making similar predictions that somebody else will be the best pitcher in various formats. Uh, okay. But in a sense, I think it's a little bolder in Adenu because Adenu rewards real world value so closely. Yeah. So in a lot of other formats in your five by five leagues or, or other um, like OBP six by six, they reward like a lot of stuff like wins and saves and steals that don't really have that much real life value. Whereas in Adenu, Kershaw's far and away the number one pitcher just because that's what he is in real life. Yeah. And I think, so did you, um, did you have anyone in mind, I guess, as to who do you think would top Kershaw or is it this just a scenario where you're like, okay, well, I'm going to take the field. Uh, well, yeah, a little bit more of the field for me. I think that's um, okay. kind of a concept that I don't know if uh, that many fantasy players are comfortable with, you know, the idea that there's a certain amount of uncertainty around any player. You know, it's, it's so easy to look at a list and just say, this guy's the top guy. Here's the top 10. Here's the top 30 outfielders. I, I think the way that, maybe a good way of phrasing what you're saying too is that it's kind of like the endowment effect where um we or if not the endowment effect maybe we focus too much on players that we really like and we don't just look at players in groups of tiers right exactly and well and and i think it's um if i'm understanding that term the endowment effect correctly it's kind of that there is that tier of you know maybe five six seven guys that could be the top pitcher but because kershaw is like in the top of our minds you know he's won the cy young award he has been the top scoring pitcher the past couple seasons. It's kind of really hard for a lot of people's brain to say he won't be the number one, you know, because yeah. your brain isn't wired that way. You want to buy into the pattern. And mm-hmm. I think it can be really good for out of new owners to train yourself a little bit to snap out of that pattern and to see where there might be other values near that level. Yeah. The Oh, by the way, the endowment effect is um, it just says that because I own something, it's more valuable. Oh, I see. Well, so, I guess... Um, that does apply so a little bit, like, and not that in we yeah. own Kershaw, but in that you know he we've kind of put him in that tier already. So yeah, yeah. the tier like includes him, whereas other mm-hmm. people we don't consider them in that same way that I can count on them. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. So yeah, so um, like I said, I'll take the field a little bit for that, and then I made a, a corresponding prediction uh, in which I took one player against the field. Uh, this one might be one of my bolder predictions that R. A. Dickey is going to be a useful player again. Oh boy, yeah, this um. <laughs> I'm not so sure how likely this one is to happen, but I thought it was uh, something fun to look at because a couple years ago, Dickie was kind of breaking the rules in Adenu that you could have somebody who was so unpredictable and was somehow still useful, which yeah. I guess kind of corresponded again to his real life value. That Like a useful knuckleballer. Yeah, like nobody could really understand how he was doing it, is just doing it somehow. And then... Of course, he's kind of fallen off in real life, which um, in Adenu, he's fallen off even a little further. He's fallen below, uh, at least for me, the replacement level for where you want to start a starting pitcher. Yeah, same here. Yeah. So um, I I think I kind of set him an achievable bar just that he'll get back above replacement level, which you don't have to be that good to do. um, But you have to be kind of good. So um, I I think that'll be an interesting something to follow, even though there's not necessarily much evidence. Um, that'll be okay. something fun. Yeah. All right. Any, any uh, specific players you wanted to go on or? Yeah. So I just staying in the pitcher grouping. Um, 
I feel like Rossi Rossi Iglesias is getting a ton of hype. So, so much hype. <laughs> yeah. So I I didn't feel like I could really say anything that hasn't already been said multiple times about Rossi Iglesias. Um, but one of the other pitchers that I actually really like this year is Vince Velasquez. And I've liked him for a couple of years since he was coming up in the Houston system. Um, and I think that he is someone who will probably return pretty similar value to Iglesias, or at least to like what we, unless someone is expecting Iglesias to be the second coming of Kershaw. Um, <laughs> but at least in the auto new leagues that I've seen so far, Iglesias is being drafted in the mid teens. So somewhere between 13 and 18 or so um, is about what he costs. And I, I feel like that's pretty realistic. I've seen that across all of my drafts. And I feel like Velasquez could easily return in the same group. Um, he Just based off the pitch off X data, he has three plus pitches. And um, his fourth pitch, which is his changeup, actually doesn't look plus just based on the data. Um, but based off of all the scouting reports from when he was coming up, he had a plus changeup. It was actually his best pitch. Um, and I think that if he can put that together, he's going to have a plus fastball, plus slider, plus curve, plus changeup. Um, and I think that that arsenal will really work. And I think that he's he ha- he's going to have strikeout the strikeouts, so he kind of has that. The only thing that really he really doesn't have going for him is that he's in Philadelphia, um, which isn't a great park. But because the Phillies are going to be so bad, I feel like it's similar to the Domingo Santana scenario where he's going to have every opportunity to fail. So even if he doesn't produce, he's at least going to have playing time, and they're going to let him see if he can work everything out. Um, yeah, I, I really like that pick too, again, because like I said about um, uh, about starting pitcher prospects, you'll yeah. have a lot of options. You know, if you see the Phillies are playing an away series, maybe then your radar goes up that that might be a better opportunity for him. So you have kind of a built-in you can plan ahead for when you might want to think about starting him a little better than you might be able to with a hitter. Yeah, um, and I think and I think one of the other things that I like to look at, even when you have pitchers who might, might not um, be in the best situation as far as Park is concerned, is to look at pitchers who have really good stuff because a lot of times that's the trump card to being able to br- produce in a park that may be less than favorable. Um, also, if you want to have some fun with projections that – uh, seem pretty outlandish. Here's uh, here's Velasquez, 10.6, 10.2 strikeouts per nine, 3.6 walks, one homer per nine, three seven FIP. It's like okay, if he did that, like that's a number three or number two starter, or not or new. If he yeah, that's not bad. They only they only have him at 95 innings and 13 starts. Um, but yeah, if he if he did did anything remotely close to that over a full season, easily a top five starter on most teams um yeah and, feel, and, and he's only going for a couple too, bucks yeah, yeah exactly like you're just gonna say it's um similar to your santana pick mm-hmm. i mean i've only seen velasquez go for two three four dollars yeah and i don't and and i don't mean this in any way to say okay well he's worth 13 like n- not at all there's enough risk there that like i'm not bidding 13 for him in any league well I, I, I think, think it's that, about kind of playing the um the probability though so you're not exactly. going to spend 13 on him but, you know, if you have the choice between picking up Iglesias at 15 or picking up Velasquez at four, maybe you pick him up at four and you hope that he, you know, brings back 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, and, and then, of course, I like I've always said with any cheap player like that, if you pick up Velasquez or a player like him and he bombs, just cut him cut loose him. and try someone else. Like there's yeah. not really that much risk at that price. <clears throat> yeah. And I think that's that kind of touches on like another. Excuse me. I'm having a cough. I need to get a drink. 
it's everybody in our crew is sick these days. <laughs> yeah, I know. I should have taken off, but <laughs> um, it kind of brings up another just like general strategy that when you're filling the back of your roster, if you aren't worried about your games or your innings pitched, because a lot of times, especially with pitching, your innings tend to be easier to fill. Um, I would almost recommend filling out your rotation with the high upside guys, um, at least on the back end. So maybe you have like two $30 pitchers that you're building off of, and then you're filling it with guys like a Severino or Velasquez or an Iglesias or like guys in, in that group who probably aren't as safe because if you hit on one of them, um, the upside is just so large. And if you don't, you can always drop them and just pick up a Kyle Gibson or a Nate Carnes or whoever if you need innings. I totally agree in the rotation too, just because you're basically starting five of the same position. So they're totally interchangeable. If you pick up a Severino and he implodes, you can so easily try someone else Mm -hmm. you you don't really have that flexibility in your lineup as much (laughs) to say, if your third baseman implodes, you have to go get another third baseman. You can't just swap another hitter in. Yeah, exactly. So in the, uh, in your pitching, you know, even if you can't relieve pitchers, you really just have two positions. You have a lot more flexibility to, kind of mix and match gotcha yeah Yeah. i I agree so yeah that's that's one of my pitching predictions um one of the other hitters that i really like is actually john jaso um and i feel like i mean you and i've been playing together for like four years now and i feel like i've owned jaso on the majority of my teams i I was gonna say what the listeners don't know is that jaso's been your guy for like four years now (laughs) yeah well my guy in like air quotes and that like he's always been like a dollar or two dollar guy yeah and he always has that upside the back end of my roster um but what i really like about jaso like historically he's always been a catcher but last year he actually picked up outfield eligibility um and the the main issue with him has always been playing time like i think the most games he's played over the past three years has been like 95 or 99 games um, well, and especially a lot of times they were maybe catcher games or kind of rotating into first base or DH. So it was yeah. really unpredictable when he'd play too. You couldn't really count on him for stretches at a time. Exactly. But it, I think what's really interesting about him is that he picked up outfield. It was really important. It was really important to Nato New. Um, he's always been able to hit, and the Pirates are actually going to play him at first base. So he's probably not going to play any outfield for them all year. You have Starling Marte. You have Andrew McCutcheon. And you have Gregory Polanco, and those three are firmly established as the guys in the outfield. Um, but they don't have a first baseman until Josh Bell comes up, and they weren't going to pay market price. So they're actually teaching Jaso first base and just going to let him have the position. And, I mean, there's not even really any guarantee that he's not better than Josh Bell, you know, in the short term. <laughs> yeah, well, and I don't feel like the Pirates are in a rush to bring up Bell unless he um, goes crazy at, at the beginning of the year in AAA. Um, but when I look at Jaso, I look at a lot of the injury issues that he's had not being able to stay on the field. And I think that that's really going to be avoided by him being able to play first base. Um, or at least he's in a much better opportunity for that to be avoided. So if he could put together 500 plate appearances this year, um, I, I see him returning $10 of value instead of, uh, or 10 to $15 of value instead of the two or three that he's typically worth just because he never stays on the field enough. Um, so yeah, I really like Jaso. Um, projections actually have him similar to Alex Gordon, Christian Yellick, Yoena Cespedes, like in that range, um, as far as Wob is concerned. Um, and those players are typically costing like 18 to $25, um, at least in all the leagues I've seen. So when you can get Jaso for, 
probably at max ten dollars. Um, yeah, I think you might be able to get them as cheap as a dollar if you wait. Um, I feel like the up that upside is certainly there. And you, you know what? Worst case scenario, let's say that he gets injured again. And he only gives you three hundred plate appearances. Um, getting a three thirty, three forty woba for four hundred or two hundred, pretty good in the out, pretty good in the out, pretty good in the out, the outfield because you eight need eight need eight to ten guys anyways at that position. So. Yeah, I was just going to say that the outfield is, um, in a way, the most similar offensive position to the pitchers, you know, because, again, you have to start five players. So even if you only get those 300 plate appearances, you can easily then swap someone in, you know, and just say, great, I took advantage of those games started and now I switched to someone else. Was there any other players you want to talk about before we talk about rookies and relief pitchers? Well, I was going to go on to a couple of relief pitchers. So maybe let's uh, let's do that now. So, um. One of my relief pitcher projections um, or predictions was that Aroldis Chapman, Andrew Miller, and Dellen Betances, none of them would be okay. a top 12 relief pitcher. Um, and that, uh, on one hand, kind of fits in with the theme of my predictions, which was a lot of times that, um, you know, any one player could do anything, but expecting things to happen from a group of players sometimes is even more unpredictable. You know, anytime you get multiple mm-hmm. uncertain things together, you know, the more you add, the more it multiplies. Uh, and I think it's pretty easy to see how any one of those three could fail to be a top 12 reliever. So Chapman is obviously suspended. If he comes back and just doesn't get enough innings, you know, that's going to be a problem. Although like we talked about, uh, I still wouldn't shy away from having him on my team because you could just plug in those innings and take what you can get. Oh, I gladly own any of the, yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, Andrew Miller, uh, obviously his problem is that he won't be the closer anymore. So uh, if you look at what he did before he joined the Yankees, he was still obviously a very good pitcher, but he wasn't in that top 12, top 10 area. So I think we'll likely see him kind of fall back to that level. And then Batance is the same thing. He's been ridiculous on a rate basis, um, but for him, it's just all about the role. So if you kind of start to see him picking up some of those two inning stints where he comes in like in the fifth inning uh, and gets a win instead of a hold, things like that, that really takes a toll in Adenu because holds and saves are actually worth a lot for those pitchers. Yeah. And that actually ties in pretty well with one of my predictions, which was uh, that no relief pitcher will produce $20 of value. So I think when actually when we actually did our relief pitcher rankings, I was the only one of the four of us who didn't have any relief pitchers over 20. And for at least three people uh, on the Yankees, uh, Chapman, Miller, and Batances, it's very similar to what you described, where I think that like three-headed monster is like great for the team, but it's kind of going to eat at the opportunities that any of the three of them will have um, just in regards to playing time. And then in, bes- in addition to that group, um, you kind of look at Craig Kimbrell and then Kenley Jansen would be like the next guys who are kind of like in that top tier, at least for me. Um, Kimbrell kind of took a little bit of a step back ne- last year um, and he's in the AL East now. I'm not sure how that's entirely going to hold up. Um, he could produce 20, but I don't feel comfortable enough with him that I'm really banking on that level of production, at least when I'm drafting this year. And then Jansen is actually the relief pitcher that I like most. Um, if I was going to spend on any of them this year, it would be him. Um, but I don't feel as uh, strongly about him as I do say Roldis last year when he was in Cincinnati. So I, I don't really see any of those guys specifically kind of topping that $20 mark as far as the value that they're worth this year um at least in fingers points and then when you look at the next year any of like Britton, davis rosenthal giles uh 
could blow up, but I feel like they're far enough away. They're probably all worth about $15 to start, $15, um, where they have to kind of make a decent jump in order to get into that conversation anyways. Yeah, I think that um, makes a lot of sense. So I, I know last year we talked about relief pitchers being underpaid, and I still think that generally um, – Although maybe looking at some of my leagues, they aren't. But generally, I feel like they are as a position. Um, but I think that this year, if you're not paying $20 for a reliever and you maybe just take one of the five at 18, so Aroldis, or one of the six, Aroldis, Batances, Miller, Kimbrell, um, Jansen, you can probably get one of those guys at 18. Just bid them all up to that price. Take the one who falls. Um, just kind of be happy with it and then grab another one for $15 or so. I, I think you'd be pretty happy instead of uh, purposely feeling like you have to acquire the top two or three guys. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I actually have a couple of leagues where I have um, Trevor Rosenthal at 15 or 16. Okay. And then I just filled up my team with $5 guys, which um, it's interesting that you mentioned last year. We were kind of advising people to spend more on relievers. Well, that's because every it, the top relief pitchers were costing like eleven dollars. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's interesting that we, um, you know, over the course of this year, we started the Slack community and it, it really took off. Um, in I, I guess about twelve or thirteen months now, mm-hmm. we started it just before those drafts last year, uh, and I think you've seen relief pitching like shoot up in value during that time to the point that I would agree now that um, in some leagues, depending on your opponents relief pitchers are actually overpaid or, or not necessarily bid up well past their value, but it's just not the opportunity it was before, you know, so you can kind of fall back into that idea of tiers where, you know, whichever guy you get in that tier, you just grab him and you move on instead of really making a push to make relief pitchers like a key part of your team. Yeah. And actually relief pitcher, just to jump back on that point. Well, I don't like spending at the top of the relief pitcher tier this year, besides getting like one or two guys. Um, I really do like the bottom of the relief pitcher tier when we're talking like the one to four dollar guys, at least with who I've been able to draft so far in leagues. So those would be guys like and <laughs> yawning. Whoops. Um, <laughs> like an Alex Colomay. And I mean, even more so now with the Boxberger injury. Yeah. Um, I really like Colomay this year. There was news that he could potentially pitch a hundred relief innings. Um, and even if he wasn't to get saves or holds, just having that sheer quantity of innings with how the Rays are handling their rotation the third time through the order um, could really be enticing. And you, at least before the news came out, you could pick him up for a couple, a couple dollars. I also yeah, I actually re- really like uh, Adam Warren for kind of that same reason. Okay. Uh, on one hand, he could jump into the rotation, which would also be valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like he might kind of fill that super reliever role where he could be coming in, you know, for two or three innings sometimes, <laughs> letting you get more of those high leverage reliever innings, mm-hmm. uh, almost similar to if anybody remembers back in the day when you could start relief pitchers at starting pitchers sometimes. The good old days. Just, <laughs> yeah, and you could just kind of squeeze more reliever innings. Uh, Warren might be an opportunity for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just like we saw with the Yankees, if he pitches well, you could see him rise and all of a sudden he's like the unheralded eighth inning guy that you picked up for a dollar. Yeah, I think he has like a lot of ways he could return value this year. Yeah, I, I, Warren was a guy I actually wrestled on a couple teams last season, but I haven't picked him up anywhere this year. Um, just real quick, a couple other names that I really like at relief pitcher. Michael Givens, um, he's been getting a lot of buzz in um, Baltimore. Tony Zyke, I actually like him more than Givens. Um, the stuff looks pretty similar, but Zyke only has um, 
Steve Sishek in front of him and Joachim Benoit. And it doesn't look like Benoit wants to close and is pretty content in his setup role. Oh, he's killing me. So I, I've been like rostering him every year for like the past four years, <laughs> thinking he'd get a closer job. Well, and I now I find out the secret is that he never wanted one. <laughs> well, I, just, I, I feel like he's content with the setup role. But I, when I look at when I look at Giffen's, um, he's costing more than Zyke in every league. But he has Britain and O'Day in front of him. Zyke only has Sishek in front of him, which is to say he really has nothing. In Nobody, him. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, at least with the way Sishek performed last, last year, if you're looking at someone who's kind of on a wobbly chair in the bullpen, it's probably him. So, um, yeah, I really like Zyke. I also really like Nate Jones, Sean Kelly, and um, Trevor May. So I, I think all those guys could be easy $1 pickups in, as setup men who have the potential to take jobs. So Kelly with Papelbon, May with Perkins, and um, and then Jones with Robertson. So, Speaking of relievers, um, what do you think about this Philadelphia situation? A lot of people were kind of chirping at us on our reliever ranking saying, well, why didn't you rank David Hernandez? Mm-hmm. And basically our reply was, <laughs> well, number one, he's not that good. Uh, but number two, you know, we don't know if he's going to have the closer role. And now, lo and behold, they're coming out and saying that uh, of all people, um, they could be giving the closer job to uh, Andrew, Bailey. Andrew, Andrew Bailey. I was going to say um, Andrew Brackman for a minute, but that, <laughs> no. of course, is the wrong player. Well, I guess that Andrew shows Bailey, you how yeah. uh, relevant Andrew Bailey has been over the past few years. Yeah, no, I, I, I almost forgot that Andrew Bailey existed. And all of a sudden you're seeing reports that he could be the closer. So um, <laughs> I view that situation similar to how I similarly to how I viewed um, Atlanta's situation last year where yeah, yeah. they didn't have um, – they didn't have a standout guy. So even if someone develops into that role, I feel like you can just pick them up then. And currently, um, unless something really unexpected happens, it doesn't appear that any of those players are going to be so good that they're, they necessarily need to be rostered now. Yeah. It was really different in last year's Philadelphia bull, bullpen when you had Ken Giles, um, who everyone kind of expected would be great and was great. Um, if Giles was in that bullpen now, I think we would all be rostering him, even though the team is terrible. But I feel like Philadelphia is kind of in a spot where they're like, oh, yeah, like we have these eight guys. And you know what? Like if Bailey doesn't do well in a, the first month, we'll just put someone else in. And that, it's not really a situation where I want any want too much of a um, of an investment, I guess. Yeah, I, I would agree there. So. And, and of course, you bring up Ken Giles. Now he went to the Astros and now they're saying mm-hmm. Gregerson is going to stay the closer there. So. That just goes to show you how predictable some of this is. Yeah. I, I'm still hedging my bet with Giles. But yeah. We'll see what well, happens. And, and I think Giles um, is a good enough pitcher that even if he's the setup guy, he's still obviously worth owning. And then yeah, maybe you bid a couple extra dollars on the chance that he does become the closer, mm-hmm. which would not surprise me at all. Yeah. You want to talk about rookies? Uh, what do you want to talk about rookies? You had a prediction about okay. rookies, right? I had a prediction about rookies, but I guess this will just spawn off into a, a – larger conversation <laughs> about rookies in general. Um, my prediction was basically that no rookie is going to produce $15 of value. Um, last year, we had many rookies produce $15 of value. So you had Bryant, Correa, Sano, Syndergaard, Peterson, uh, Windor. Just to name a Franco. few. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could, we could go on, but like there were so many guys who were, um, if you own any of those players now, they are cornerstones of your team. And I, I don't, think that that has 
set up the 2016 rookie class with any form of realistic expectations. Um, so there are a lot of rookies that I actually really like. I like AJ Reed a lot. I like JP Crawford and Urias a lot. Um, as far as guys who can contribute this year, but I think that there's going to be enough time before they are called up that they're not going to have the opportunity to produce like say a Correa did or a Bryant did where they were up basically all year or even a Syndergaard. Um, I, I just don't think it's going to be, I think it's strictly going to be playing time that kind of gets them in. I still want to own AJ Reed and I, I own Crawford in several leagues. Um, but if you look at the rookie class and look at what happened last year and think, you know what? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pay $15 for JP Crawford or AJ Reed because rookies are just underrated. I feel like you'll be slightly disappointed just because I don't see it. It's strictly an issue of playing time for me. I just don't see it being there for um, many of the top rookies this year. So I, mean, I, I think um, in general too, no matter who the rookies were this year, it would just be, not really safe to think that anything like what happened last year could happen again. It was just yeah, such it a was perfect so historic. Storm, yeah, you know, of really talented players, and a lot of them were up on day one, and a lot of them, you know, really broke out right away. They didn't have a huge adjustment period. You know, Lindor was one yeah. of the guys that uh, among that class took a little time to adjust and finally break out, and even he, you know, was one of the top shortstops by the end of the season. So, you know, if that was the slow guy of the class, that tells you what was happening. <laughs> Well, I think, it, and so this is with the obvious caveat that Corey Seager is a rookie this year. Um, and I would, he's been going for 25 to 30 in all of my drafts. And I don't think that price is too unrealistic. Um, I mean, I think 30 is a little high, but certainly 20 or 25, I think is very fair. Yeah, I have met like 26 in all my, as like the price I would pay. But I think the issue, at least for me, becomes that like he is the only guy that I have anywhere close to $15 or any, like at least comfortably surpassing it. So I have Seager at 26, but there's no other rookie that I really have over 10. And there are certainly guys I could put at that range. Like I, if you own Reed or Crawford or Urias or Giolito for $10, I, I don't really have an issue with that. Um, and I think that next year you might be really happy owning them at that price. I just don't think that the playing time will be there this year. So, yeah, I think that's a. Uh, I like you said about Seager. That's uh, he's kind of the one guy that can sink this. Um, yeah, and I'm not sitting here with a Seager voodoo at all. Um, <laughs> but poking his knee, or anything. I do think that gets <laughs> to um, another point. And like I said to you, um, I when I did the football podcast with Justin, you know, a lot of times we talk about different players every week. A lot of our conversations would kind of come back to the same similar concepts. And I think one that we've talked about a lot on the Slack boards uh, is the idea of, you know, bidding for prospects because they could break out and help you, but not counting on them right away. Yeah. Uh, so I, one good example was Byron Buxton a couple years ago where there were multiple teams drafting him for $15, $16, dollars mm-hmm. And, you know, that's fine if you really like Byron Buxton. But we were kind of cautioning them saying – you know, I think that's a little too much money. I think that's kind of paying him like he's a producer right now. And the owner would reply and say, oh, well, no, this is great. Look at what Trout did last year. He was valuable right away. And I think we're seeing that same phenomenon a little bit this year where there were so many great rookies last year. It's really easy to say, oh, well, look at what, um, you know, Chris Bryant did last year or look at what Kyle Schwarber did or what Francisco Lindor did and say, well, I can count on, you know, my rookie this year to give me something like that. I can count on say Lucas Giolito 
And I think it's good to remember that, you know, these are outlier years a lot of the time. And that's exactly why most of the time those players are owned so cheap because it's strategically correct for them to be owned that cheap. You know, so we shouldn't kind of take that recency bias and say, well, all the prospects were good last year. Let me up all my values on prospects. That's like really a surefire way to kind of do something you regret later in the season. Yeah. And I think, I think it really comes down to roster construction as well. Um, I I've seen teams this year that own Urias and Giolito for $10 a piece. And I don't really have an issue with that. Um, but I want to build my rotation in such a way that I'm not depending on those guys to be my fifth or sixth starting pitcher. Yeah, definitely. If they're my eighth or ninth starting pitcher. Great. That's perfectly fine. And I think that's how I would think about prospects in general, that yeah. even if it's someone that I think will come up this year, I still have him like firmly in my prospect section. And then if he does come up, then great, then I'll be happy to slot him in. But I'm not mm-hmm. going to build my lineup or my pitching staff assuming that one of those prospects is going to fill a spot, no matter how good yeah. they are. I agree. You know, I think even last year with Bryant, you know, first of all, we saw that he wasn't up right away and there was some controversy. But even then, you know, I wasn't, totally comfortable slotting him in my lineup from day one. I was more comfortable than with your average player, but I think the hype kind of got out of hand where people just expected he's going to be Mike Trout on day one. And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously he succeeded last year and he's a very good player, but you can't expect that for every player. That's a reason that he was so, um, so celebrated last year that he was able to do that from day one. Yeah. So any other players that you want to talk about? Uh, let me see here. Uh, well, if we want to go on kind of... I've covered most of the bases on my end. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, I'm just going to jump off this same concept kind of of not um, not assuming that people will do what you think they're going to do. Uh, I made one prediction that was um, panned a little bit in the comments for not being bold enough about the Brewers situation. Uh, and I think, on one hand, it may have been a little bit that I... The Brewers situation. So what... What was the prediction? Yeah, so so my prediction was that Ryan Braun, obviously, uh, could be a Brewers outfielder that will top uh, the top 30 outfielders in total points, but that nobody else would do it, which, um, to be fair, goes straight against your Domingo Santana prediction. Um, yeah, that's But in general, okay. I, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of hype for that whole group. People really like Brett Phillips. People really liked Reimer Liriano, although he just got injured, which kind of threw some cold mm-hmm. water on him after I made this prediction. Uh, And I think to me, it's just a clear cut case of, you know, of course, all those guys have talent and any of them could break out. Uh, But I don't necessarily trust any of them to slot into my roster. Uh, Just kind of the same thing I was saying about prospects. And I feel like the hype kind of got out of hand where people weren't even saying what you said, that Domingo Santana could break out. They were saying, I'm putting Domingo Santana in as my second outfielder and counting on him. Yeah. So I think... um, I kind of responded to that by making a prediction against it. And then, you know, of course, people commented saying, oh, that's not bold. You know, I, I don't think those guys will be good either. Um, but it really does depend how you're viewing them. If you're somebody who wasn't counting on them from the start, of course, my prediction doesn't look bold. But if you're somebody who, you know, is kind of like I said with Byron Buxton, who's looking at Santana and saying, I'm going to bid $20 on him. You know, he's going to be my second outfielder. All you guys are going to regret it letting me get him in the auction. I think that's really a surefire way again to disappoint yourself when something doesn't go that way. Well, yeah, I think um, kind of jumping off that slightly, I think that 
putting yourself in a position where you need to own any specific player at any cost typically sets yourself up for failure. Yeah, I totally agree there. And actually, if I could jump off that for a second, you know, again, covering our commonly hit topics. We're just jumping from tangent to tangent. Jumping everywhere. (laughs) Um, Well, Trey, I think, published an article recently about rebuilding an Adenu. And um, one of the things he asked was, you know, what are one of the mistakes that you think teams make? And a lot of us answered something to the effect of, like, don't let another team push you into a trade. You know, don't make something where you don't really need to make that trade. You're just kind of selling because that's what teams do. And I think really that concept can apply to anything, to prospects, to lineup construction. You know, don't make a move unless you kind of looked at it and you have a solid idea of what does this move do for me? You know, so like with Domingo Santana, for an example, you're picking him up. Ideally, you're going to have the idea of this guy could give me a lot of value, but I want to pick him up at a price where... And he's my fourth or fifth outfielder. It, exactly. You know, so you're thinking yeah. critically about what is he going to do. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of teams run into trouble is they see a guy that gets overhyped and they start to think, like, Santana's the guy. I got to get Domingo Santana. And then they bid $27 on him. And, you know, <laughs> like, of course, things have gone wrong for you. So uh, I think a lot of our predictions kind of play off of that, that we're predicting guys that under certain circumstances this could happen. But... Uh, that's exactly why these are bold predictions that we don't think people should be counting on these as part of their strategy. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. So, um, all right. Well, I, I think I'm done on my end, unless there was anything, any other players that you wanted to talk about specifically. Well, uh, let's, uh, we can kind of wrap up, but I had one little, uh, bonus prediction. Oh, is this your <laughs> yeah. Barry Bonds? Uh, so Barry Bonds is the hitting coach, uh, for the Marlins now. And I don't know if you saw a, a week ago or so, there was a report that they did like an informal home run derby and he, he beat Stanton. He beat everyone, including Stanton. Yeah. Okay. So um, I don't know what anyone else feels, but I'm pretty confident if somebody signed Barry Bonds to be their DH, <laughs> I think he would be out of new rosterable. Now, unfortunately we will never know whether this prediction came true or not, but uh, I mean, I, I just can't imagine that he couldn't do something still. Yeah, I I would like to see it just for. Um, I mean, even just for him to like take batting practice or something, like to actually see some footage. <laughs> I mean, he he might draw more fans than the Marlins currently draw. Yeah, <laughs> if, if if they could if they somehow work out a deal like to just get him in one long. game. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap this up. We're coming on an hour now, um, okay. so I think we'll try and come back uh, potentially to discuss Trey and Justin's picks. And then, of course, if not, we'll be back with another episode, uh, hopefully, next week. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks for listening, everyone.